In an era of loud voices, I'm convinced now more than ever that it's not what's screamed before many that has the power to transform, but what is received in the presence of one, Yeshua the Christ. In an era of loud voices, I'm convinced now more than ever that it's not what is screamed before many that has the power to transform, but what is received in the presence of one, Yeshua, Jesus the Christ. Here is where leaders are born. Not by their ability to gain influence among peers, but through their inheritance in a place called secret. This is an age of influencers being those who have the biggest following on social media. Everybody heard that phrase? So-and-so is an influencer. It's like the thing to be nowadays. So we call people who are influencers, we label influencers uh, based on how many followers people have. Now, throughout history, throughout history, we've learned a lot that usually, not always, but usually the people with the greatest amount of followers are not the greatest influencers. And if they are influencing, it's not in a positive way. Y'all with me? Right? Right? So Jesus, Jesus himself would fail the litmus test of being an influencer. In today's standard, Jesus would not be considered an influencer. Why? Because he spent his entire ministry, died on a cross, got back up out of a tomb three days later, ascended, and there were 120 people in an upper room waiting. Not an influencer. Today, right? So somehow, somehow, we've taken the standard of Jesus, and we've tried to apply it to today's standard of what an influencer is. And somewhere along the way, we tried to make that work when those two were never intended to work. Jesus humbled himself. There were even points where his brothers said, hey, why don't you come in front of everybody, show them your power, and you can be famous. And Jesus says, if you want to go gain man's approval, go ahead. And he snuck around later behind the scenes and went. So what my point is, is that I believe what the Lord is trying to teach us, specifically in an era of loud voices. That's what 2020 and the past, really, I guess, like 10 years, has just been an era of just loud voices, loud voices. Loud, somebody won the presidency four years ago by being an extremely loud voice, Right? I mean, and that's nothing against or pro, just to be clear. But the re he riled up crowds all across the country by being a loud voice. Had no policy. I mean, really, like, you know what I'm saying? Had a lot of smart people around him, I guess, but had no idea. If I was running for president, I would have no idea. The only thing I could do is rile up a crowd. You start talking about, like, you know, what's, what is the, uh, the United Nations? I'm, I'm clueless. So... By a loud voice. We're in an era of loud voices, and I believe if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll start seeing the impact of a lot of people with a lot of loud voices and a lot of followers and see that as a greater achievement than being in the secret place and inheriting a whisper that has the power to transform the globe. <clears throat> Jesus himself would fail the litmus test of being an influencer, yet is still influencing the cosmos 2,000 years after he defeated death itself. In ancient times, 
And as we will see in the story of Esther in a second, a king's signet ring was a king's seal that represented the king's signature. So the word signature, signature, comes from the idea of behind the signet ring, okay? So in ancient days, kings had signet rings. These rings had the king's seal, which would be pressed into wax as the king's official signature. Anyone decreeing orders or laws without first possessing the king's signet ring would be breaking the law and would face harsh punishment, possibly death. To make decrees on behalf of the king without his ring is by definition pretending. That's all, all I'm going to talk about today is a signet ring. I actually had a whole message planned about something totally different, and this was going to be one point, and the Lord just started unlocking all this stuff. Okay? In ancient days, anyone, we're about to see this, anyone could make decrees as if it were the king himself making decrees. The only thing you had to possess first was the king's signet ring, his signature. Okay? However... If you tried to make decrees on behalf of the king without first inheriting the signet ring, you would be a pretender and possibly put to death, but 100% facing harsh punishment. With me? Okay. The issue is many of us in past or even in the current generations have been proficient in speaking on Yahweh's behalf without ever receiving the authority to do so, that, only call, that is only caused by way of proximity and intimacy to and with the king. Let me read this one more time, because I messed it up when I turned the page. It's always when it gets you. Many of us in past and in the current generations have been proficient in speaking on Yahweh's behalf, the king's behalf, without ever receiving the authority to do so, that only comes by way of proximity and intimacy with the king. People have used in Jesus' name as an abracadabra magic word to get whatever they want in Jesus' name. Maybe it's just me. People in, in Jesus' name is the equivalent in our day to abracadabra. Right? He said we could. He said we could anything. He said we could do that in His name. So we'll pray in His name, and if it doesn't work, we'll scream in His name louder. Because He's five billion miles out that way. So the louder we scream, the more of a chance we have of reaching the cosmos. <clears throat> When in Jesus' name is simply a declaration that you've inherited the king's signet ring. People have used in Jesus' name, one more time. I'm going to just read you something in John 14 for a second. I wasn't going to do this, but I think I am. People have used in Jesus' name as an abracadabra, magic word to get what they want. When in Jesus' name is simply a declaration that you've inherited the king's signet ring. Listen to this, John 14. Don't move from Esther 8. You're just going to trust that when I read this, it's accurate. It's coming from the book. 
John 14. Somebody got mad at me one time because I read a verse out of my notes rather than the Bible. That's, that's legit. Somebody was very upset about that. Um, so I'm going to read it from the Bible. Philip said to him, to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. I've been talking about this kind of uh, chapter and few verses a lot lately, but show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, in other words, the Father's giving me, given me his signet ring, so everything I say is on his behalf. Okay? Then he goes deeper. Believe me that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, but if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will do the works I do, in fact, will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Listen to this. I will do... Whatever you ask in my name, so that the fathers so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. Okay? What's Jesus saying? The prerequisite for receiving anything you ask for is inheriting the authority to actually ask in his name. Okay, no, it's Father's Day. Did you know Father's Day is statistically the lowest attended church service day of any day of the year? Did y'all know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if in my name, I just say stuff every now and then just to get your brain thinking, okay? If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. In my name, you ask me for anything. So we got the ask me for anything. The part that we miss 100% of the time is the fact that we have to receive the authority to ask in his name in order for us asking for anything applies to us. So a lot of people are walking around asking for things that they wonder why they're not receiving. And then you trace it all the way back and find out they have very little in the way of a secret place. Then you have a lot of people who have not a lot of influence and not a lot of followers, but have a thriving secret place and are inheriting the DNA to bring new creation into the globe. Man, y'all are quiet today. This is good stuff. I can say, I'm not saying that because I wrote it. I'm saying that because the Lord gave it to me. All right. So we ask and wonder why we aren't receiving the answer the hand without the signet ring is nothing more than a banging gong, to use Paul's terminology in 1 Corinthians 13. The hand with the signet ring has the authority to do the works Jesus did and greater. Jesus didn't do one miracle for 30 years. Think about this. Jesus Christ the Son of God was on the earth 33 years, and for 30 of those 33 years did no miracles. What? I mean, if you're going to have a thriving ministry, 
do 30 years of busting it and maybe three years of resting, right? Not 30 years of learning who you are and then three years of acting out in who you are. Or was he qualified to do what he did in three years because of what he did in the 30 years? Whew. A lot, a lot of us want to go straight to the three years, and we miss the fact that we're actually called to spend most of our lives in the secret place, inheriting the authority that would allow us to speak things in three years that spe- people spend their entire lives speaking and never seeing the fruit from. People have ministries for 40 and 50 and 60 years, and I believe we're coming into a day where some people are going to inherit the authority to speak words that are going to transform nations in a day that could never be accomplished when we were trying to do it outside of having the signet ring on our hand. People believe great ministries and careers will come out of working harder. That might gain you followers. But I know a lot of godless people with a lot of followers. Followers was never the aim of Jesus. Prove it. Awesome. Jesus feeds the 5,000, possibly 30, 40, 50,000 people. Feeds them. They all go away. He runs. They come and find him across the lake the next day, and they say, feed us again. Show us another miracle. And he says, awesome. You want another miracle? Cool. Eat my flesh and drink my blood or you'll have no part in me. And a hundred percent of them leave. And then he turns around to the twelve and says, y'all going to leave too? So if the goal was followers, Jesus' ministry greatly failed. But if the goal was disciples... Jesus' ministry was 100% successful, which is why in America, across an ocean, in an area that in ancient days was unheard of today, is preaching the gospel of the same man who spent 30 years being a carpenter and nothing else. He had a three-year ministry, and 2,000 years later, we're still as passionate, I believe even more passionate, than they were in the beginning. How? In three years. We've been a church almost for three years. So in November, if we closed the door and said, you know what, we're not going to have church ever again, would anybody look at us and say, man, they really made a difference? No. You know why? Because we've been a church for three years, and we've had a handful of people for those three years, except... Those three years, a handful of people found the narrow way. So we may not see it for 2,000 years. You first have to believe we might be here in 2,000 years. I got something in my mic. It's driving me crazy. Right? First off. But second off, if we are here, You've got to believe that you in the secret place is going to unlock something in your legacy that they're going to be in the secret place 2,000 years later. That's why I say this. I might be the only literal father in the room right now, but what you're doing in your life is not just affecting your life. It's the seeds for your legacy. So I am the dad I am today because of what I did in the years leading up to ever having a baby. I just can't get this thing out of my mind. 
Okay, we're good. Y'all with me? All right, squirrel. Followers know of the one they follow. Brides intimately know every detail of the one they're in covenant to and with to the point that they're actually one with them. Followers know of the one they follow. follow. Brides intimately know every detail of the one that they're in covenant with to the point that they are actually one with them. Jordan can write checks and sign my name on the line and they cash 100% of the time unless we don't have any money in the account. Right? Right? She, she can write checks. Josh Brown, Josh Brown. In fact, well, we don't have checks, so we got cards. So she can use my card, and 100% of the time it goes through. Why? Because we're one. We're married. Now, all of you guys, if you wrote a check in my name, what's going to happen? Probably going to go to jail. And you're going to be sadly disappointed. Y- you know? And somebody, I was like, my, I leave my, no, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. If somebody ever got a hold of my stuff, it's going to be the worst place they've ever robbed because they're not going to get anything out of it. But, so, so followers know of, you guys know me in one way. Jordan knows me in a totally different way that you guys don't know. Right? So, so we have the option to approach Jesus in the way that you would approach me, which is not a bad thing, or we have the option to approach Jesus in the way that Jordan would approach me. Most people choose this rather than that because this, you get to keep your identity. That, you have to change your name. Right? This, you get to go home and keep doing your thing. That reproduces, and we go to the same place, and we're always around each other. She sees the good parts of me, the bad parts of me, the ugly parts of me, the majority of the parts. You know what I'm saying? She sees all of it. You guys see this. She sees everything else. So what Jesus is wanting to do is dare us to come into a relationship that's not just a Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. Yeah, I've heard about him. It's a Monday through Monday through Monday through Monday, the rest of your life saying, I know every single detail of the one I'm joined to. So we can sing, I know your eyes are like flames of fire and your hair is white as wool and your voice it sounds like waters. It's in scripture. It's a whole nother thing to start singing details about his face that you might not read in the book of Revelation. Whoo! Can't wait to read that. All right. So back to the story in Esther. I want to say this one more. I want to read this last paragraph and then I'm going to jump to Esther. We need to stop pursuing followers. And I'm not speaking to people who are in ministry. I'm speaking to you in your everyday life. Okay. And I'm definitely not just talking about social media. We need to stop pursuing followers and influence and shift our pursuits back to the only thing that legally has any influence in anything, the feet of Jesus. I could scream and scream, and I've tried, scream until I'm blue in the face, and it's not going to make a lot of headway. I could get in the secret place and inherit such an authority that my whispers actually start to shift kingdoms. 
I mean, I, I can prove that all day. Paul had no idea. I believe he had no idea that the letters he was writing would one day be the New Testament. Maybe he knew. I, I don't know if he knew. He's writing these letters to these churches. And when he gets to 2 Timothy, how many of you have ever read through 2 Timothy? There's no shame if you've never read it. Okay, it's not a book that people normally just pick up and read. All right, 2 Timothy is a super depressing, in a lot of ways, book. That's the book where Paul's writing, I'm being poured out like a sacrifice, like an offering. I'm being poured out. And he literally says, all of Asia, they've left me. And he goes through and he starts listing people who used to be with him that now they're gone. He says, I went to my first trial and nobody showed up with me. So that Paul is at the end of his life alone. Everybody's abandoned him except a handful of people. Some of the churches that you read about earlier have already started to turn away from the Lord. So when he's at that point, I would have to imagine that Paul is looking at his life and looking at his ministry saying, what was the point? They're all leaving. These guys are losing their mind. Did, did that do anything? And now, thousands of years after his death, well over a thousand years after his death, it becomes our New Testament and most of what we teach on a weekly basis. Here's my point. If Paul was going after influence and followers, he got to the end of his life and just like Jesus, failed. Really just like the entire early church. I mean, you can start listing apostles. Failed. But if they were in such a place with Yahweh that their intimacy became a seed for another generation to pick up and go deeper, a thousand percent successful. And I didn't plan this on Father's Day, but what we're about to read is the story of what happens when somebody is pursuing personal gain outside of a connection with a spiritual father and what somebody can pursue under the authority of a spiritual father seeking out one thing, proximity with the king. That's what you're about to see. So let me give you a quick backstory between Esther 4 and 8. We read Esther 4 last week. And uh, so if you missed that, go back and watch it. Um, but I want to finish this story today, okay? So here's what happens between chapter 4 and chapter 8, which we're going to start in in just a second. Haman, the king's highest official, gets hanged on the gallows he built to kill Mordecai. Mordecai is then put in the position of the highest official in the kingdom of Persia. At this point, the decree still stands that the Jews are to be put to death. Esther is given, once Haman is put to death, the house of Haman. So let me just give you a quick backstory. Last week we read, Haman, the king's highest official, uh, goes through. He finds out that Mordecai will not bow to him because Mordecai will only bow to the Lord. He finds out Mordecai won't bow to him, finds out he's a Jew, tricks the king by having the king's signet ring. Haman received the king's signet ring. Uh, to make a decree that all Jews in the kingdom be put to death. Okay? So Esther is pushed by Mordecai to approach the king in a way that no one ever could because they would be put to death. She boldly approaches the king. 
She requests that Haman be killed because of everything that he had done. Haman is killed, and then this is where we pick it up in Esther 8. With me? Awesome. Okay. So on that day, Esther 8, verse 1. On that day, King Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus, excuse me, uh, these names sometimes will get you. King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. Mordecai was her uncle that raised her because her parents died when she was a baby. So then the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman and gave it to Mordecai. So Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke to the king again. She fell at his feet, weeping and pleading with him to avert the evil design of Haman, the Agagite, and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. The king held out his golden scepter to Esther. Esther rose and stood before the king. She said, If it pleases the king, and if I have won his favor, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I have his approval, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman's son um, of Hamaditha, the Agagite, which he wrote giving orders to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming out on my own people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then the king said to Queen Esther and to the Jew Mordecai, See, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he plotted to lay hands on the Jews. Listen to this verse. You may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's secretaries were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan on the 30, excuse me, 23rd day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded. To be clear, not the king, Mordecai. Y'all with me? I know this is a lot of names and a lot of stuff, but just hang with me. I won't tie it all together. A decree was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews and to the satraps and the governors and the officials of all the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces to every province in its own script and to every people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script and their language. He wrote letters in the name of the king, sealed them with the king's ring, and sent them by mounted couriers riding on fast steeds bred from the royal herd. By these letters, the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to assemble and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them. 
with their children and women and to plunder their goods. On a single day, throughout all the provinces of the king, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of the writ was to be issued as a decree in every province and published to all peoples. I'm almost done. And the Jews were to be ready on that day to take revenge on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift royal steeds, hurried out, and urged by the king's command. The decree was issued in the citadel of Susa. Last couple of verses. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king, wearing royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a mantle of fine linen and purple, while the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. If you remember what I read last week, things have dramatically changed in the story at this point. For the Jews, for the Jews, remember in chapter 3, what were the Jews doing? They were mourning in sorrow in chapter 3. Now we're in chapter 8. Listen to this. For the Jews, there was light and gladness, joy and honor in every province and in every city. Wherever the king's command and his edict came, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a festival and a holiday. Furthermore, many of the peoples of the country professed to be Jews because their fear of the Jews had fallen upon them. I mean, there's, there's so much, so much in this, so much in this. That's a very, very interesting last uh, um, verse right there. Many of the peoples of the country professed to be Jews because the fear of the Jews had fallen upon them. Man, I could preach an evangelistic message right there, but I'm going I'm to save it. Haman, Haman represents, if you're taking notes, this is the point right here. Haman represents a generation who Yahweh had given authority to, the signet ring, yet used it for personal gain at the destruction of God's people. Haman signed the decree that was to kill all the Jews because Mordecai refused to bow to him rather than Yahweh. How far do we go? How far do we go? Haman represents a generation who Yahweh had given authority to, yet used it not for the building up of God's people or the people, but for the personal gain of themselves at the destruction of God's people. Now, this is the world we live in today, and I'm not going to spend too much time on this, and I'm not even talking about preachers or churches. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about that leaders in Christianity have been given the inheritance of a signet ring. Remember what Jesus said, John 14. Ask anything in my name, and I'll give it to you. That's the inheritance. What, how do you get the inheritance? Just believing. All who believe in me will do the works I do and greater works. That's it. Believe I am who I am. I'll give you everything you've ever desired, period. Amazing. Talk about grace and love. How many of us deserve that? 
You know, how many of us deserve? Listen, I don't, want you to, I don't want you to be better. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is believe I am everything I said I am, and I'll give you everything that you've ever desired. Huh? Primarily eternal life. Never tasting death when we were the ones that put him on a cross to taste death for us. We were the ones that carried the stain of death, and somehow we inherited the robe of righteousness in exchange for the stain of death. By doing what? Nothing. Believing. Right? So, there's a lot of people who have inherited everything that we are designed for in Christ. But at the point of inheritance, it wasn't used for building up the body of the people of God. It was instead used to build up personal gain, which comes at the destruction of the people of God. My goal, I told the Lord this, uh, was it Thursday? Thursday. I told the Lord this. Me and the Lord, this is how my quiet time looks. One of these days we're going to do a sermon on quiet times um, because I get that question a lot. But um, I'll study, typically, sometimes it changes. I'll study, I'll pray, I'll write, you know, worship, everything else. And then however long Veda stays asleep, from that point, I literally, if you could be, if you were in my dining room, I do this, back and forth, back and forth, just talking, preaching to myself, preaching to the Lord, you know, like, Lord, you know, this happened, and then, wait, Genesis 6, it says that, oh, wait, and then Paul wrote this, in a, and just back and forth, back and forth, and uh, so if she sleeps till like 7.30, there's like an hour and a half of just back and forth, which is honestly where a lot of this comes from, but most weeks, But I told the Lord this on Thursday. It is one of my goals before I die to put an end to the idea that there can be a superstar pastor. That is just one of of my goals in my life. Superstar pastor? Huh? Right? That's one of my goals. I, I do not long to be a superstar, and neither should any other pastor. This isn't about building followers and being a superstar and wearing cool clothes. Yet that's what we've made it. Why? Because that builds us up. And so when people, man, when people refuse to bow to us because they only want to bow to Yahweh, our response, our response is not, well, praise the Lord. This is all about Him anyway. Typically, our response is, well, you go to a church right down the road. We're not, we're not doing the spirit thing. We're doing the relevant thing. And then, some, and then a group of people show up doing the spirit thing, and all the relevant people wonder why they're seeing what they're seeing when they don't have as much influence as they have. So Haman represents a generation who Yahweh had given authority to, yet used it for personal gain. Haman was prideful. He was narcissistic and only interested in personal success or gain, even if it came at the demise of other people or primarily other generations. He was only interested in personal success, even if it came at the destruction of future generations. The reason I talk about legacy so much is legacy keeps us on true north. 
If, you, if you've ever wondered why, because I know today I'm the only dad in the room. There's some moms in the room, but I'm the only dad in the room, okay? But there's only a handful of people at our church right now that actually even have kids because we're a lot of younger people. And so legacy keeps us on true north. What do I mean? Every single decision we make, I ask myself the question, how does this affect the next five generations? And if it positively affects the next five generations, we'll make that decision. If it negatively affects the next five generations, it doesn't matter how much it makes sense now, we will not be doing that. Which is why we do worship the way we do. I know there's moments about 20 minutes in where it seems like we've hit the end point. And it's like, come on, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Why are we sitting? Why are we waiting? Why are we waiting? Because Yahweh might want to whisper something about five minutes into us getting uncomfortable and ready to move on that would send the next five generations on a trajectory that they weren't previously on had one generation not sat and waited and be still to know that he is God. So that's why, why do I preach for an hour and 20 minutes? Every podcast gets longer and longer and longer. Why do I do that? People all, man, people would really listen to your messages and really come to your church if you just preach for 40 minutes instead. We hear all the time, right? People, people would show up in droves if you just preach 40 minutes. The messages are great. They're just long, Right? Some of y'all are saying amen. That's okay. That's okay. It doesn't bother me. You know why? Because what I'm releasing is not primarily for us. It's seeds for them. That also makes people mad. I thought this was about me. It's not, not about you. Nope. It is definitely not about you. Let me, sit, let me stop right here. I'm, we're just having fun. I'm, I'm having fun. Um, and I'll, I'll go back to Esther. I know we got a lot of new people in here, so welcome. Um, Glad you're here today. Uh, I was having a conversation with somebody last week, and this is many, many I, I've had this conversation hundreds of times, um, especially since um, Corona started. And uh, I was talking to this guy, and, you know, asking where they were going to church now and stuff like that. And, uh, and this was the comment, and I know a lot of you have heard this with where you work and stuff like that. And uh, it was, well, we were going here, uh, but every time I left, I just, I just felt like just condemned for like stuff I'd been doing and so then we went here kind of felt the same thing but then we went here and man every time I left I just felt good about myself it was like it don't matter what I've done it don't matter what I did last weekend what I'm gonna do this weekend I just feel I just feel good man that's that's really what it's all about I was like literally I mean in my in my head I was just like (laughs) you know and then I thought, how many, well, you don't have to raise your hand. Lord, that, but that's, that's every, everybody around us. Man, man, I just want to feel good when I leave church. Man, I just want, I want to feel, I want to feel great. You know? We don't got to talk about that stuff. So let's talk about grace, love. It's all about love, you know? But we don't ever read the verse, the Lord disciplines those he loves. <laughs> You know, there's a reason why a lot of people have never read the, uh, a lot of the, honestly, a lot of the Gospels, a lot of the New Testament, and most of the Old Testament. You know why? Because love looks 
way different than what we think it looks like, and it's more excellent. Yahweh isn't sitting around. I said this last week, I think, two weeks ago. He isn't sitting around doing this thing. I love you anyway. I don't want to know. He's, 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 he's going to stare you in the eyes until you become the image bearer that you were knit together in your mother's womb to become. Most people right now are talking about race because it's the hot topic, and you get a month down the road, and they won't be talking about it anymore. You know why? Because it ain't what people want to hear anymore. The only reason we started talking about it was because I believe I ain't going to leave where I'm doing and what I'm doing until things start getting fixed like Yahweh designed for them to be fixed. This isn't a topic for us. We don't even have enough followers to have right topics. That, that's not what stuff like this is. Why, why do you talk about homosexuality? Because in order for us to move into the designed identity of Columbia, South Carolina, homosexuality is going to have to be reversed and put in its place. You were designed for love. You were designed for love 100%, but primarily from Jesus. And when you get love from Jesus, you'll start to learn what it looks like to love somebody else. No, but nobody talks about that because it's not the popular thing. I don't care to be popular. I care to be right. I care to be in the will of God. I care to be on true north. I care that in 55 years, the current trajectory that we're on is Christianity being extinct in America. If the trend continues, in 55 years, there will not be one Christian in all of America. If the current trend continues. So we can keep doing what we've been doing, or we can say maybe we should turn back to Yahweh, and as we turn back to Yahweh, He will hear us from heaven and forgive our sins and heal our land. Maybe that's the answer for the generations. All right, so back to Esther 8. Remember in chapter 4, there was great mourning among the Jews because of the injustice of one generation who had abused their inherited authority. In chapter 4, I'm just everybody needs to turn their brains on just for a few minutes. In chapter 4, there was great mourning among the Jews because of the injustice of one generation who had abused their inherited authority. Psalm 30:11 says this, then he broke through and transformed all my wailing into a whirling dance of praise. He has torn the veil and lifted me from the sad heaviness of mourning. He wrapped me in the glory garments of gladness. That was written before the book of Esther was written. So in one moment, in one moment, they are down and wearing the garments of despair. In another moment, they're wearing the garments of glory and joy and gladness and primarily hope. Did anybody see the video we posted this week about the art that's, on down, that's in downtown Columbia? Did anybody see that? Thursday morning. Was it Thursday, Ellington? I think I told you about it. Yeah. Thursday morning, uh, I was spending time with the Lord, and he told me to write this phrase. He said, the next season will be defined by one word, hope. The next season will be defined by one word, hope. So I'm driving into downtown, and we have a new art piece at the corner of, uh, it's on Main Street, down in front of First Citizens Bank in that, like, uh, big field. 
And do y'all know what it is? Gigantic letters with the Columbia flag in the background. Hope. I had never seen it until Thursday. So that's how the prophetic works. Right? So all of a sudden, the Jews in Esther 8 have hope. Now, here's what's really key. Nothing has changed. The, the king, when he makes an edict, or somebody makes an edict on behalf of the king, he even says this, it cannot be revoked. So the order of Haman could not be revoked. So instead of the order of Haman being revoked, another order was given that the Jews could defend themselves against the order of Haman. You with me? So, so the reality of their situation really hasn't changed a lot. And yet they have hope where they had despair. While one generation of leader was misusing their authority, another generation was growing closer in proximity and intimacy with the king. So while Haman's out doing all of this, Mordecai is pushing Esther deeper into the inner courts of the king. Unseen, unheard of, unannounced. Mordecai is encouraging Esther, maybe you became queen for such a time as this. And then Esther makes the decree, if it costs me my life, it costs me my life, I've got to go save my people. While she's doing all that stuff in the secret place, Haman is out in the open with all the opulence of being the highest official official in the kingdom, setting a decree that all the Jews be killed. So what they see out in the open is one generation misusing influence, while another generation isn't out in the open. They're actually in the secret place, growing to the place where they're about to inherit the influence that one generation misused. But the only way they inherit that is in the secret place. If Esther stepped out of the palace with a sword and said, let's get it on, she probably would not have made it. Maybe. But she never touched a sword. Mordecai, that we have written, never touched a sword. Never touched a sword. Never lifted a finger. And yet now a whole country and race of people have hope. Are y'all with me? Hello. So, so I believe what Yahweh is, is showing us right now is that there are some who feel the most excellent way is having a loud influence. And I believe the most excellent way to transform not just the injustice we're facing now, but everything in the cosmos that does not align with the kingdom of heaven is by being in the secret place and inheriting the authority to do so. When it seemed on the outside that the Jews were furthest from freedom, they were actually the closest to freedom by way of a spiritual father pushing the next generation closer to the king. This reminds me of 2 Kings 6 when Elisha, very familiar story, is surrounded by the Armenian army and his servant starts freaking out. Anybody remember this story? Elisha, they're surrounded by the army and his servant is like, what are we going to do? 
Elisha prays that his eyes are open. Obviously, his eyes are open at that point because he sees the army. So Elijah isn't saying, hey, wake him up, open his eyes. He's saying, let him see what he cannot see in fear. The Lord opens his eyes, and he sees that God's army surrounding him is greater than the Armenian army around him, and all of a sudden he's not afraid anymore. This is why we have to be careful judging the state of the world by what we see. Literally, what you see, or on the news, or on social media, or anything else. Because the reality is, across the country and world, there are fathers rising up to lead a generation not into the ministry of personal gain, but into the lifestyle of proximity to the king. This is why I believe things are getting good. That might be the phrase we need to put on a t-shirt. I don't know. Things are getting good. Well, brother, do you see do you see that rally? Man, I just don't know. I, all I know is things are getting good. I don't care what I see. I don't see things. I think I see things getting good. I know coronavirus. I know the numbers. I know what's going on around us. But let me tell you, have hope. Things are getting good. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. What is faith? The evidence of things hoped for and the assurance of things that you do not see. So we belong to those who have faith. Let me say it like this. We belong to those who have assurance in the things that we do not see and are saved. Let me talk about Tuesday night for a second. Tuesday night, I don't know, I mean, a lot of you guys were here Tuesday night. Um, We sat around, and for two hours, people were just explaining what the Lord's been doing in their lives. There was no agenda. She's like, hey, what's the Lord been doing in you? What's the Lord been doing in you? What's the Lord been doing in you? And just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I left Tuesday night, and I realized people are actually getting it. Because in order for you to share something that the Lord's been doing in you, he has to be doing something in you. And so I'm sitting around a group of, you know, 20 people, however many people were there, sitting around, and as people just start sharing what the Lord's doing in them, something begins to rise up in me that says, you know what? I could look at this and say because of what we see or what's been happening in the past few weeks or what we're walking through or whatever, this isn't making a difference. Or I could say there's 20 people around here that feel like they have access to the king to hear whispers they never heard before. That's a lot of people watching this today. We have more people that watch this than actually show up in church. We actually have more people that watch this from outside of Columbia than come to church inside Columbia. I don't, I don't know why, but a lot of you watching this, you send me emails and messages and all that stuff all the time. Give because the Lord is unlocking something in you through a video camera that you've never heard before. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the mindset that as a spiritual father, I'm going to push spiritual sons and daughters deeper into the place with the king where they can inherit whispers rather than pushing them into the public square where they can make decrees with the signet ring they got. Here's the coolest part of this story. Ironically, on Father's Day, Mordecai did two things. If you go back and read through the book of Esther, and I'm actually almost done. Mordecai did two things. He remained faithful to the Lord by not bowing to Haman in chapter 3. He remained faithful to the Lord. 
knowing it might cost him his life, and he fathered one daughter, his niece, to go places with the king no one had gone. Mordecai did two things, two things. I'm almost done, so hang with me. He remained faithful to the Lord and fathered one daughter that wasn't even his. Guess who ends up with the king's signet ring in chapter 8? Mordecai. Guess who's given the house of Haman? Mordecai. He did nothing. He did nothing to fight for or earn this. He literally inherited it. Mordecai did two things. I know, I know it's like almost 12 and people are getting hungry, but don't miss this. Don't miss this. Okay, how do we make a difference in the world? Well, let's take Mordecai's example. He did two things. He remained faithful to the Lord, even if it cost him his life, and he raised up one spiritual daughter. That's it. So was he an influencer? Was Mordecai an influencer? Yes. How much did he have in the way of a following. One. So, so the, the influencers in the earth, this is why I'm saying all this, is that you in this room, in this room, may feel like that where you are in your life or where you're going to school, or where you're working, or the family that you've been quarantined with, hello, or the people that you've been around, you might feel like that you're just there, just living life, making no difference. And I'm here to encourage you that if you will remain faithful to the Lord and lead those He brings into your path, you can actually set nations free. Because it was never about letting your voice be heard. It was always about getting in the place where you can hear a voice speaking to you. It was never about having a megaphone. It was always about having a still place where you can begin to hear the whispers. Man, I feel as dry as the desert tents of nomads. Yet you are so lovely like the fine linen tapestry hanging in the holy place. That's Song of Songs 1. I feel so dry, so unworthy, yet you are so lovely. Do you know what the last verses in the Old Testament were before 400 years of silence? The last words that God speaks before the New Testament picks it up 400 years later. You know the last words? Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That word dreadful doesn't mean literally you're dreading it. It means, you know, awe-inspiring. The great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children 
and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Book closes. The last thing that the Lord speaks before John the Baptist's narrative picks it up in the New Testament is, unless the hearts of fathers are turned to children and children to the fathers, I will strike the land with a curse, period. And then, and I said this last week, and I'm going to try to say this without crying, but I cry every time. And then you hear a voice crying out in the wilderness, and what is he crying out saying? He's announcing the time for fathers to be turned back to their sons and sons to be turned back to their fathers. And then Yeshua the Christ shows up on the scene and sends not just one generation, but every future generation into a trajectory of glory to glory to glory to glory. And the message that started that off was fathers turning to sons and sons turning to fathers. It was never about preachers. It was always about fathers. I am not a pastor. I'm a father that happens to preach. If we, I mean, if we could just get that, all of our issues would be, if we had fathers in the home, you would never have to deal with immorality ever again. I promise you a million percent, there's, because every single situation that people walk through, you'll sit down in counseling, and there will be an issue where there was no father present. All of them. All of them. And if there was a father present, he wasn't present. So, so it doesn't look like a lot. Let me take it from me because, again, I know a lot of you guys aren't fathers yet, but you will be. And it doesn't look like a lot when my daughter says, hey, Daddy, can you come play with me? Because she says it all the time. If I'm home, Daddy, can you come play with me? And, of course, every time I'm like, drop everything I got, let's play. Barbies, I can rock some Barbies, you know? You just learn. It might not look like a lot when you're laying in the floor and you're pushing a camper (laughs) with a Barbie in it. But one of these days, she's going to have the authority to set nations free. So I can either say, like a lot of fathers, I don't have time for this. Or I could say, this is the only thing I have time for. Right? Yes. So I didn't plan a father's, y'all know me, I don't do that. I don't do, hey, it's Memorial Day, let's talk about mem- remembering stuff. That's, you know what I'm saying? I don't, or it's, it's Easter, I mean, honestly, Easter Typically, I have a hard time struggling to preach an Easter message unless the Lord specifically gives it to me. Because we don't do that thing about planning messages a year out. You know what I'm saying? I know a lot of preachers who know exactly what they're going to preach on this date next year. Right? That's fine. That's your thing. Rock and roll. We don't do that. It's whatever the Lord wants to say today, he'll say. And what he wanted to say today is this. That what we are doing 
what type of church we are is not a mega ministry trying to change the globe. It's a family with fathers and sons and daughters and mothers trying to set people on a trajectory of true north where our great, 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 great grandkids are more fiery about this than we are. Can you imagine, what if 10 generations ago, so my 10th great-grandfather was a, uh, was a minister of um, the Quakers, a Quaker minister. I found this out. So my 10th great-grandfather was a Quaker minister, if ancestry is, cor- is correct. So I'm just trusting to say they are. Um, now, if 10 generations, that's what I know of him, that he was a Quaker minister. If 10 generations ago, William Brown that was his name, sat around and said, you know what, we'll preach and we'll do church, but I'm going to make sure that my 10th great grandkid is burning so hot that the entire globe will be transformed and everything he did and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation and the next generation did gave birth to me who inherited a fire that I did not have to work for. I mean, think about it. What if, all right, let me say this. What if everybody in the room that your 10th great-grandfather and grandmother had that mindset? I'm, I'm not dishonoring them by any means. But, but think about this. What if your, every generation that came before you for the past 10 generations, what if their mindset was, I want the next to burn hotter than I burn? And that was it. I would dare to believe that Jesus might be coming back. And not in the rapture, but because the cosmos would be so glorious, he would have no other reason to stay. That didn't happen 10 generations ago. Look at the world. But that's okay, because we have the opportunity today to set forth on a journey that in 10 generations from us will inherit what most of us did not inherit. And it's not religion, and it's not theology, and it's not teaching, and it's not the word. It's so close to the feet that you can start to taste bronze in your mouth. Are y'all with me? I mean, maybe I'm by myself, and that's cool. I'm totally fine being by myself. But y'all, are y'all with me? I know it's hard for young people who don't have kids to hear this because you don't have kids yet. I know that's difficult. But the decisions you're making now do not just affect you. All the moms say amen, right? The decisions you're making right now do not just affect you. You don't want to have to sit around with your kids and say, you know, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this, but the Lord forgave me. You want to sit around with your kids and say, I did this, I saw this, I did this, now let's go see it together. It's it's crucial. Who who are you dating? Crucial. Because it's not just affecting you. What are you doing with your Saturdays? Because it is not just affecting you. Partying's fun, but floating around in the heavenly realm is funner. And you know what I'm saying? Which contradicts everything I've said the past few months. You're not floating. That was, that was just a way of talking. Lord, Lord, I'm getting myself in trouble. All right. Let me wrap it up. Daniel, where are you? Can you come up here? I hope the live stream's still going. <laughs> Oh, man, we've had more issues with that live stream than anything else. Maybe the Lord's trying to tell us something. Um, There are three 
I want to wrap it up. There are three figures from the story of Esther. There's three, okay? Just to put a little bow on it. There's Haman, which represents those who won't gain for themselves with God's authority. There's Mordecai, a spiritual father. And then there's Esther, a spiritual daughter, growing through honoring the leading of Mordecai. Esther did not want to go before the king. Go back and read chapter 4. I read it last week. Esther was terrified. She said, I can't go before the king. I'll get killed. And so Mordecai sends word to her and says, you know what? If you don't go before the king, the Lord will raise up somebody else from somewhere else, and he'll still set his people free. But maybe you're there for such a time as this. And a spiritual father shifted Esther's perspective from, I can't do this, to if it costs me my life, I'll do it. That would have never happened without a spiritual father staying consistent with making sure that she didn't settle with just okay. I love you enough to not let you settle for just whatever. The reason I teach like I teach, the reason we worship like we worship, the reason we do Tuesday nights like we do, the reason we do all this stuff is because I love you so much, I refuse to let you stay where you are. And if there's pieces that have to be cut off along the way, we'll cut them off. And if there are pieces that don't make it to where we're going, then that's okay too. But we are going somewhere that if we will learn to honor each other and what the Lord has put in each of our lives to build the body up into the perfect knowledge of the Son of God, we are going to see generations change. Not because of megaphones and microphones and cameras, but because of what happens in the place that no one sees. What happens in the secret place on a Monday morning at 5 a.m. when you're tired and nobody's looking around and it seems like nothing's moving in your world and every prayer you prayed has yet to come to pass and you still wake up and you still get in the presence of the Lord and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. That's what changes generations. It's not what you do with a megaphone. It's not what you do on social media. It's what you do in the secret. Why did Jesus spend the majority of his time hiding with the Father? We read in the Gospels. I got to get this chair out of the way. I'm about to run. My, my old school days are just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Any of y'all watch the Medea movies? That's When I hear stuff like that, immediately what I think of. It's almost Halloween. We're going to have to watch that. Lord, help us. Help us, help us, help us, help us. <laughs> Bring it back. Bring it back. Look, what was I just saying? What was I just talking about? I know, yeah. Good grief. Oh. I remember what I was talking about. That, <clears throat> I mean, what? There are so many days just as a pastor, and I talk about the secret place all the time, but let me tell you, there's so many days I wake up, Veda hasn't been sleeping great lately, and so like I wake up and I am exhausted, and I'll drink 10 cups of coffee, 
and just be, you know, sitting there just like, you know, trying to focus. And, uh, but you know what? I'm consistent. I mean, like, Ashtore, I'm, and that has nothing to do with me, but here's what I'm telling you, is that not every morning you wake up and the heavens open up. You know why? Because there's some mornings that Yahweh wants to see your consistency a lot more than he wants to entertain you. Because if you'll remain consistent, then you'll step into a reality of the things that you used to only get a glimpse of. Yahweh is not an entertainer. Jesus is not an entertainer. I'm not an entertainer. A lot of people will leave this church because I'm not entertaining them. That's where Yahweh is not an entertainer. What he is is a bridegroom that longs for a bride that just enjoys the presence of their company. There's a lot of nights where me and Jordan will just sit together, we'll watch TV, and sometimes won't even say a word. And in those moments, we're growing closer and closer and closer because it's not about the words we say. It's about the proximity that we're consistently in. So a lot of times my prayer does not look like, in Jesus' name I speak, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes it does. But a lot of times you know what my prayer looks like? It looks just like this. And as I'm sitting in his presence, I can just see things start to shake. And I'll hear the birds outside start. A rabbit gave birth to five baby bunnies in our yard the other day. Unbelievable. So we have rabbits all in our yard. I'm, I'm going to wrap it up, I promise. We have rabbits. This is Father's Day. I can do whatever I want. We, we, have, <laughs> we have rabbits that come in our yard. I love rabbits. Anybody else love rabbits? Yeah, they're just awesome. Um, anyway, they come in our yard. So typically, me and Veda, she likes to play chase with them. So what she'll do is she'll chase after them, and they'll dart, and she'll just sprint around the house. And uh, it's so funny. But the other day, uh, Thursday night, Jordan called us, and because uh, Jordan went to hang out with some people. On her way out, she called us and said, there's a rabbit in our yard. You might want to take Veda before she goes to sleep. So we went out there, and we got, I mean, like, right up against her, and she wasn't moving. So I had two thoughts. Please, Lord, don't let this rabbit be dead. And, but the other thought was, this ain't normal. And so finally, she gets up and walks away, and we look in, and there's five babies burrowed in the ground. And I, all I could hear was Yahweh whisper, new creation is finding you. New creation is attracted to you. The, let me say it like this. Creation is standing on tiptoe waiting for the manifestation of a son or daughter of God. But when it sees it, creation is saying, that's the one. Maybe we're going to be set free. I, Isaiah 61 says this, and I'm going to be done. This is the last thing I want to end on. I read this last week. This is where I want to finish it. Isaiah 61 says, The mighty spirit of the Lord Yahweh is wrapped around me because Yahweh has anointed me as a messenger to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the wounds of the brokenhearted, to tell the captives you're free, to tell the prisoners be free from your darkness. I'm sent to announce a new season of Yahweh's grace, a time of recompense on his enemies, to comfort all who are in sorrow, to strengthen those crushed by despair who mourn in Zion, 
to give them a beautiful bouquet in the place of ashes, the oil of bliss instead of tears, and the mantle of joyous praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. Because of this, they will be known as mighty oaks of righteousness, planted by Yahweh as a living display of His glory. They will restore ruins from long ago and rebuild what was long devastated. They will renew ruined cities and desolations of past generations. Foreigners will be appointed to shepherd your many flocks. Strangers will cultivate your fields and tend your vines. Let me listen, finish with this. But you will be known as priest of Yahweh and called servants of our God. You will feast on the wealth of nations and revel in their riches because you received a double dose of shame and dishonor. You will inherit a double portion of endless joy and everlasting bliss. For I, Yahweh, love fairness and justice. I hate stealing and sin. I will rightly repay them because of my faithfulness and enter into an everlasting covenant with them. Now listen to this. Their seed, their seed, not them, but their seed will be famous among the nations and their descendants the center of attention of the people. And all who see them will recognize that they are the seed that Yahweh has blessed with favor. Could that be said of the next generation? Could that be said of the next generation? When somebody looks at my daughter, could she look, could they look at her and say, that's the seed that Yahweh has blessed with favor? It says everyone will see them and recognize that. That they'll be the center of attention and famous among the nations. Why, why are they famous? They're famous for the fact that people can look at them and see they're the favor of Yahweh. But it starts with us. And I go back and forth all the time on how much I should talk about the next generation because of the fact that we don't have a lot of people with kids. I go back and forth all the time. Does this matter? Does this matter? Does this matter? And what I realize is, is the reason that I am the dad that I am, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. But the reason I'm the dad that I am is because years before we ever had a daughter, I was waking up at 4 a.m. every single morning, reading the entire Bible front to back, laying in the floor, letting Yahweh show me what it looks like to have an Abba, learning from my father, my earthly father, who is a phenomenal dad, what it looks like to be loved by a dad who shows you the love of Abba. And then I have a daughter and I'm not operating out of what I think I should do. I'm operating out of what I've seen him do for me. So if you can learn that now, if you can grasp that now, that your career is not what your kids want from you. Your money is not what kids want from you. Your fame is not what kids want from you. What your kids need from you is you to be so secure in who you are because he has planted you by your design and by his purpose that when they look at you, your kids can say, I want to be just like them. I'm going to end with this story. 
You can go ahead and close your eyes. I want to share this over you while we're praying. Jordan is going to kill me for sharing this story, but she and Veda were out at the playground. And she sent me this text. I believe it was on Wednesday. And uh, Veda had been bit by a bunch of mosquitoes. Me and her just get demolished. I guess they like our blood. And uh, anyway, she had gotten bit by a bunch of mosquitoes. And, uh, and they were a pretty good distance from home where our neighborhood playground is. It's, it's a pretty good walk. And um, so she started itching and she started, you know, crying because it was going to take a long time to get home and, you know, put some cream on them and stuff like that. And, um, and so Jordan said, well, Veda, why don't we pray to Jesus that he'll take the itchiness away until we get home? And, um, and so Veda walking starts praying, you know, dear Jesus, you know, help my legs not be itchy, all that stuff. And, um, and so they start walking. Everything's fine. And Jordan said, halfway on the way home, Veda looked up and said, Mommy, I want to be just like you. I want to be just like you. Abba, I pray right now that we'll become a people that say, Papa, I want to be just like you. And that our obsession with the one thing will become what the next generation looks up to us and says, I want to be just like you. And I thank you that you have given us a group of people that are so in love with you, that are so passionate about what you're doing. This is my family. I mean, this really is my family. My closest friends, my closest family, some of are in this room. And I would give my life for them. So Lord, I honor you for them today on Father's Day. They may not see me as a spiritual father. Maybe they do, I don't know. But I 100% see them as spiritual sons and daughters, no matter how old because I love my people. So I thank you for them, Lord. I thank you for what you're teaching us now. I thank you that you are prophetically giving us a blueprint of what it looks like to lead families into the kingdom rather than followers into the kingdom. It's so different. That's why narrow and small is the way and gate that leads to eternal life that only a few find. Because it does not naturally seem like the way we should go, yet it holds the key to eternal life. So Yahweh, we love you. We love you in your name. Amen.